From the heart of Dubai, this is Sports Unhinged with Mohammed Hamiz. And we are on. Hello and welcome to Sports Unhinged. My name is Mohammed Hamiz. And whether you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we are glad that you can be here with us. We're going to talk a little bit of UFC and boxing today, but let's start with the NFL. And week one did not disappoint. This is why the NFL is the most exciting sport in the world. With boxing, you could have a multi-million dollar super fight and it could become a snooze fest. With the UFC, you could have a title fight that you're looking forward to for a long, long time and it's a boring fight. Five rounds on the ground. With soccer, football, the World Cup, you could be looking forward to the World Cup for a long time and at the end, the opening match is a nil-nil draw. That could happen, but not with the NFL. Because in the NFL, even when a match ends in a draw, it is exciting. And we saw that this week with the Green Bay, um, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. Now, I watch my NFL games every Sunday in one place. I go to the original Wings and Rings in the IFC. Shout out to those guys. Nobody can throw a better NFL Sunday than these guys. And we were all sitting there, not a single Cleveland Brown fan in the, in the whole place. You had people in their Philadelphia Eagles jerseys, in the New England Patriots, you had Houston Texans. There were a couple of Buffalo Bill fans sitting there at the front looking at their quarterback throwing passes to his imaginary friends from his childhood. And I was in my Panthers gear. And guess what we did? At one point in OT, everybody turned around And we were chanting, let's go Brownies, because the Cleveland Browns almost pulled out their first win in 624 days. And it came down to two missed field goals and it ended in a draw. The most exciting game of the week. So the NFL is back in full swing. Now, if you remember in the last episode, I made a declaration that gave me a lot of flack. A lot of people, my phone was exploding, especially after the Chicago Bears-Green Bay Packers game. Because last weekend, I declared that the Green Bay Packers are not going to make the playoffs. And then we saw Aaron Rodgers pull off the biggest comeback, fourth quarter comeback in Green Bay Packers history by coming back from a 17-point deficit and winning the game 24-23 against the Chicago Bears. And guys, this does not change my prediction. In fact, it bolsters it. Now, let me just start by saying Aaron Rodgers is, 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 is out of this world. He's not, a, he's not a human being. With him and Tom Brady, I'm pretty convinced that there's some kind of superpower thing going on here. I think that Aaron Rodgers has probably signed over his soul to the devil. That contract expired at the beginning of the season and he didn't bother renewing it. He's like, oh, let me try and do this on my own. First couple of quarters, or first quarter and a half of the game, it was Aaron Rodgers without his superpowers. He went 7 for 13, 3 for 7, 13 yards and zero touchdowns. And then the devil came and gave him a little warning in the form of a knock to the knee. I want to see you back here in the locker room. What did Aaron Rodgers do? He went to the back, met with the devil, signed over his soul again, and came back with his superpowers. 17 for 23, 273 yards after the injury, and three touchdowns. 
24-23, the Green Bay Packers pulled off an unbelievable win against the Chicago Bears. This doesn't change my prediction, guys. Why? Because going into the game, the Chicago Bears were a seven-point underdog. And it took a superhuman effort from Aaron Rodgers to pull off the win. This is against an average quarterback who's still trying to figure things out in Mitch Trubisky. A fantastic defense. And Aaron Rodgers had to do this to get through the Chicago Bears. What happens next week when they're up against the Vikings? Better quarterback, better defense. What happens the week after that where they're at the Redskins? Now, they have a lucky run after those two games where they're going to play against the Bills and then the Lions. 49ers after that. Then they have their bye week. And then they're at the Rams and at the Patriots. The Green Bay Packers have the toughest schedule in the NFL this year. They're not making the playoffs. If they do, forget about Aaron, giving Aaron Rodgers the MVP. You put him in the Hall of Fame right away. This is not going to happen, guys. Now, another thing that we saw in the game is how much Green Bay needed Khalil Mack. Boy, did that guy have an, a coming out party in, in, in Chicago. With the sacks, best pass rusher in the game. He looks like he's on his way to becoming a Hall of Fame defensive player already. Now, Aaron Rodgers is the kind of quarterback that just needed someone like Khalil Mack in his defense. Because in the last God knows how many years, if you keep the opponents to less than 21 points, Aaron Rodgers wins you the game every time. Last year, they got knocked out by the Atlanta Falcons because they conceded 44 points. When you concede 44, 30, 50 points, even Aaron Rodgers can't help you there. Green Bay Packers still won't make the playoffs, but boy is Aaron Rodgers earning every cent of his money, and he's showing us why he made the right decision in taking that money. Now, the opening game was against the Philadelphia Eagles. It was between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Atlanta Falcons. And the first thing I want to say is Atlanta Falcons... the Atlanta Falcons, I, I just, I don't, am I missing something here? Everybody has them going to the Super Bowl in the sports channels. And we saw what we've been seeing from Matt, from Matt Ryan since Kyle Shanahan left Atlanta. Now, Matt Ryan, when Kyle Shanahan, during that Super Bowl year, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator, scored 35 points or more on 10 occasions that year. Since then, he's never gotten close to scoring 35 points. Matt Ryan had a spike year during that Super Bowl year. But he's a Julio Jones injury away from being Andy Dalton. And the Atlanta Falcons are a Julio Jones injury away from being the Cincinnati Bengals. Because once again, Matt Ryan, in the dying moments of the game, with two minutes left, just couldn't find Julio Jones in the end zone. Nick Foles, who's also showed us that he's nothing but a great backup quarterback, 
He was able to read the defense during the game. He changed plays, touchdowns. Matt Ryan, he kept staring down his receiver and throwing the ball to the Philadelphia Eagle fans. At least the Panthers, the way we do it, we score the touchdown first and then Cam Newton gives the ball to somebody in the crowd. Matt Ryan was throwing it to the crowd way before they scored the touchdowns. Good luck, Atlanta. You're stuck with this guy for the next five years, $150 million. You're not going to the Super Bowl either. Now, when it comes to Nick Foles, we saw exactly what we expected from Nick Foles. He's a good back backup quarterback. The Philadelphia Eagles are probably not going to win their division. I'm still going to hold on, yes, the Dallas Cowboys didn't look great against the Carolina Panthers, but I'd like to think it's because they're playing against one of the best defenses in the league. So I'm holding on to that prediction for a little bit more. I know I don't look good right now, but the Philadelphia Eagles, until Carson Wentz comes back and plays the way he played last year before he got injured, they're going to struggle. The one saving grace that the Philadelphia Eagles have is their defense. Boy, is that defense legit. They had 10 pass defenses, four sacks, a forced fumble, a fourth and goal stop, and a game-winning fourth and goal stop. That defense is going to be okay, and it's going to carry the champions for a little while in the foreseeable future. Now, we also saw the Houston Texans against the New England Patriots, and the New England Patriots ended up winning 27-20. Um, I wasn't too surprised by the performances. It wasn't a great game. Deshaun Watson didn't look like he was back in his element just yet. Um, the Patriots didn't look great either. I wouldn't have been even surprised if the Patriots lost that game because historically, the way that Bill Belichick has treated the month of September is like an extended preseason for him where he experiments. And we've seen... September has never, never been a great month for the New England Patriots. In fact, Bill Belichick has only won 66% of his games in September. Move on to October with things get going, 83%. So expect the New England Patriots to continue experimenting here. They managed to pull out the win, and that's mainly because Deshaun Watson was very rusty. He still didn't get back in his element, but that shouldn't be a problem. Because last year, with Deshaun Watson, the Texans had the fifth best offense in the league once he got injured dead last Texans will be okay as well a lot of people are kind of going down on Deshaun Watson right away give it a give it a give him a chance guys he just came back from an injury now the one game that I I actually loved I wouldn't even tune into that game last year but this year it was the one that I was looking forward to the most the New York Jets versus the Detroit Lions. What a game that was. It was absolutely incredible. And how good is Sam Darnold? I told you guys, the Cleveland Browns will forever rue the day that they passed on from Sam Darnold in the draft. Baker Baker touchdown maker is going to be a good starting quarterback in the NFL, but he's no Sam Darnold. And nothing made me happier than seeing Sam Darnold throw a pick six in his very first snap in the NFL. He threw that interception. It was taken all the way back for a touchdown. Oh, no. 
What a horrendous start for Sam Darnold. I couldn't be happier. You know why? Because the pressure was lifted from his shoulder. It was gone. There is no way but up from there. Cam Newton, when he was drafted number one overall in 2011, and in his first game through for 422 yards, you know what that did? It built up expectations. Everybody was looking at Cam Newton and like, oh no, we have the love child of Joe Montana and Michael Vick here. Carolina Panthers fans were counting their Super Bowls for the next 10 years. Guess what? Cam Newton hasn't lived up to those expectations yet. He's reached the Super Bowl once. He lost. But he hasn't lived up to the expectations that everybody had after that opening game. Sam Darnold, on the other hand, threw that pick six and showed us what he was all about. He came back. He was very composed. He went 16 for 21, 198 yards, two touchdowns. Their defense, the Jets' defense, five interceptions. Matt, Matt Patricia, I remember when he was the defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, every time the camera moved to him, they ha- the announcers had to remind us how Matt Patricia is actually a rocket scientist. With that kind of performance... If I was him, I'll start building my next rocket. And I'm putting on Matt Stafford in there with me, and I'm launching myself out of space because the NFL has no place for performances like that. Matt Stafford, if he continues on the path that he started with here, might be the most overpaid, overrated quarterback in the NFL. That was embarrassing by the Detroit Lions. So... It was an incredible, incredible start to the season. Now, the one thing that we're looking forward to, the main headline that everybody's watching for week two, is what happens with the Pittsburgh Steelers and Le'Veon Bell. If I was the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is getting out of hand now. More offensive linemen, more players are coming out and having a go at Le'Veon Bell. I think we might have reached the point right now where there's no coming back from this. And... If Le'Veon Bell does not come back this year, Connor did great, but he's no Le'Veon Bell. They're not gonna, the chemistry is not going to be there. With Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, and Le'Veon Bell, the Pittsburgh Steelers were expected to go all the way to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not going to pull back on that prediction either, but in the locker room chemistry perspective, this might be beyond help right now. And if Le'Veon Bell does not come back and the Pittsburgh Steelers struggle like they did against the Cleveland Browns, who I told you guys, that defense is going to get them five wins at least this year. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, this could be the end for Mike Tomlin. You can't have all that talent and underachieve year after year. And this has been the biggest mismanagement of a player's contract in recent memory. Le'Veon Bell needs to get paid. Now let's shift gears to the UFC. Tyron Woodley versus Darren Till were the headliners of UFC 228, the co-main event between Nico Montano and Valentina Shevchenko had to be cancelled because Nico Montano was taken to hospital when her the weight loss program just went completely out of hand. She got really unhealthy and she had to be taken 
in an ambulance to hospital to get treated, and that resulted in the game be, in, in the match being cancelled. And she got stripped from the title. And a lot of people, there was a lot of outrage about how there's a double standard in the UFC, how Conor McGregor held up the whole division for a whole year and everybody was fighting for nothing but interim titles, how Max Holloway also pulled out last minute and he didn't lose his title. This isn't the same, guys. Number one, Conor McGregor's Conor McGregor. When your biggest headliner, when the guy, you think UFC, you think Conor McGregor. Yes, he hasn't fought in two years, but guess what? He is still the biggest name in the UFC. And the fight against Khabib Nagromedov is going to be the biggest fight that we've ever seen. So, yes, Conor McGregor is a separate category. There is a double standard there, and it needs to be there. With someone like Max Holloway, he's a proven champion. He's defended his title. He's been nothing but a consummate professional. And when he pulled out, it wasn't because he, he couldn't lose weight in time. It's because he actually had a concussion. They were worried about his health. There's something that happened during the training. His speech was slurred and something was wrong. And they, the doctors ended up pulling him out from the fight. Nico Montano plays in a division that not many people care about. She's unproven. She hasn't de defended her belt. She was the de facto champion. And you cannot generate interest as a UFC, as a business, in that division by creating an interim title. So I'm all for the decision of the UFC to pull the title from Nico Montagna. Now let's talk about the main event. Tyron Woodley versus Darren Till. And boy, was, that was an amazing fight. That was an absolutely amazing fight. Darren Till during the weigh-ins looked like he was three times bigger than Tyron Woodley. It was scary. The forearms, the way he held up his arms when they squared off. I did not think that Tyron Woodley can actually do what he did. Second round, amazing boxing. That right hand that he used to knock down Robbie Lawler, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, the exact same punch brought Darren Till down, and then he went down, ground and pound, submission, tap out. He stopped the freight train that was Darren Till, who was following the Conor McGregor mold. Talk a lot of trash, back it up in the, in the octagon. Tyron Woodley was like, uh-uh. You have to go through me first. And if I was in Tyron Woodley's inner circle, if I had his ear right now, I would tell him three words. No more complaining. You're in the place that you need to be right now, Tyron. Because all of the reasons why Dana White didn't like you and the fans didn't take on to you and why Dana White always promoted your opponents more than he promoted you, you showed that you have thin skin. You were com complaining too much. And when you played that race card, you lost everybody. No more complaining. Because Tyron Woodley just brought everybody back to his side by doing what he does best, beating people up in the octagon. Now, in previous podcasts, I talked about Tyron Woodley and how I was totally fine with the fights that he had against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Damian Maya. Dana White went out and completely criticized him. There were snooze fests. There was nothing going on. I was completely okay with it. Tyron Woodley is an explosive fighter. 
but he's also a very smart fighter. He wants to take as less damage as possible. So if I can just go at the pace of my opponent and do just enough to beat them, I don't have to be exciting. Why shall I risk my body, risk getting punched in the head and knocked out against really good fighters just for the sake of Dana's excitement? It was a very two very technical fights that he had with Damian uh, Maya and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. But now when Darren Till came and was talking a lot of trash and tried to go the explosive route, Woodley showed us that he's capable of that too. And now the fans are moving over to Woodley's side for one reason. It's because they're fed up. The fans are fed up of the UFC's attempt to promote fighters in the WWE way. Where it's just sensationalizing those guys that have loud mouths and Back, I mean, one of the most outrageous promotions that I've seen in recent memory is how Francis Ngannou was hyped up in his fight against Tipe Miocic. We're talking about the greatest, arguably the greatest heavyweight ever in the UFC in Tipe Miocic. And the way that Francis Ngannou, somebody who just came up, had a couple of great knockouts. I mean, he almost knocked um, Alistair Overeem's head clean off his neck. They promoted him like they wanted him to be the champion. The same thing with um, Cody Garbrandt. The way that they promoted him against TJ Dillashaw. He didn't even deserve that rematch. He lost very decisively. Guess what happened in both cases? Stipe Miocic taught Francis Ngannou a lesson that he hasn't been able to recover from since. And TJ Dillashaw not only beat Cody Garbrandt in the same way that he did the first time, he did it faster. He did it quicker. The fans don't want undeserved fighters being hyped up by the UFC. They want the true champions, the technically superior fighters. Yes, you get more promotion, you get more fans and more follows and more clicks when you get the Conor McGregor's and all of these loudmouths coming in, the Colby Covington. If I was Tyron Woodley right now, you could ask for anything. You want GSP? I think Dana would give you GSP. If you want Nick Diaz, you can get Nick Diaz right now. But if I was Tyron Woodley, I would do the smart thing. Just keep beating up those guys with loud mouths that the UFC likes. And you know that you're technically better than. So Colby Covington, bring him, on, bring him over. Make him submit like you... Submit him like you did with Darren Till. So this is where the UFC is right now. It's a bit of a crossroads. Because you have the hardcore fans who are more into the technical fighting, the more kind of technically superior fighting. And then you have the bubblegum fans, you know, the WWE fans that like the, the stuff that goes on before and after the fight, not what really goes on during the fight. Very interesting times in the UFC. Now, I want to shift gears to another big event that's happening in the combat, combat sports world this, uh, this weekend, which is the long-awaited fight between Canelo Alvarez and Triple G. And this fight, we spoke about it last year in our podcast. It was a great fight. 
it could have gone either way. I personally thought Triple G won that fight by a couple of rounds. I was okay with it being a draw, but the whole thing was marred with one of the judges, Adelaide Bird, giving the fight to Canelo 118-110, which I still don't understand how. And I hope that she hasn't gotten any more fights to judge since then. I'm pretty sure I'm wrong on that. But this fight turned into something a little more interesting. It was just about two great champions that en it ended up in a draw and we need the rematch to see who's really better. But along the way, it took on a bit of a different tone. When Canelo Alvarez tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs that he blamed on tainted meat, I don't buy it. But now, all of a sudden, this fight is no longer just about Canelo and Triple G. You have a good guy and you have a villain, all of a sudden. You have an honest fighter and you have a cheat in a lot of people's eyes. Canelo Alvarez is a top elite fighter. And when you're a top elite fighter, there are certain things that you obsess about in your day-to-day -day life. How you train, what you eat, your sleep, what you ingest. If you get a flu, what kind of medicines do you take? You just don't go to over-the-counter over in a pharmacy. You need to make sure that you know what goes into your body. I find it hard to believe that you will find a masking agent in somebody's blood and they'll blame it on tainted meat. You live in Mexico. You know that that is a possibility. So for me, what I'm looking for in this fight is if that Canelo is no longer on any illegal substances, then I'm expecting him to hit with less power than the first fight. And in the first fight, Triple G took his best hits and he wasn't phased at all. I remember there was this slow motion clip that came out and it was going popular in, on social media where Canelo landed the punch on the button, clean. And Triple G just waved, waved it off like it, like it didn't bother him and kept moving forward. And you can see in that moment, in that slow motion clip, the eyes of Canelo realizing, you can see it in his eyes, he realized that this is, this is a different beast that I'm dealing with here. Now in this fight, I expect Canelo to fight a bit more this time. Um, I don't think he'll do much harm to Triple G um, than he did in the first fight. Triple G will be more relaxed. I think Triple G gave Canelo a little bit too much respect in the first fight. It took him a while to get going. This fight, I think Triple G looks like he's training with a vengeance, like his legacy on the line, like he's got a point to prove. I think he comes out of the blocks right away trying to get that knockdown. And that's for two reasons. Because of his legacy, because he doesn't want to risk it, and because he's fighting a golden boy promotion fighter. And those guys, if you let it go to the judges, you don't know what could happen. For all we know, we could have another draw in our hands here. Now it's true, Triple G cannot fight backwards. And it will be difficult for him to knock Canelo down if Canelo starts circling and moving the way that he did in the first fight. But I think Triple G can actually be a lot more aggressive. So my prediction is that it should be a unanimous decision for Triple G, but because we're fighting a Golden Boy Promotions fighter, it will end up as a um, split decision for Triple G. Or if we're lucky, we can see a knockout in the late rounds for Triple G.
If I was Oscar De La Hoya and Canelo Alvarez loses this fight, I'll start looking for another fighter to put my investment and my money in because with all of the controversy that has happened with Canelo Alvarez, this is a big, big fight for, for Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions. Now, we also had another great fight in the last week between for the WBC, well, the vacant WBC welterweight title between Sean Porter and Danny Garcia. That was a fantastic fight. There's been very few fights this year that I enjoyed as much as this one. And the reason for that is because of the boxing IQ and the boxing intelligence that was involved in this fight. Now, we all know Sean Porter. He's the kind of fighter that knows how to do one thing really well. He can sing one song really, really well, which is turn everything into a brawl, fight on the inside. In fact, he's been accused of being a dirty fighter in the past because he leads with his forearms. When he's inside, he uses his elbows. And he's been saying for the last few months is that he's going to show Danny Garcia something that he's never seen before. But what Sean Porter ended up doing during that fight is something that I didn't expect to see either. Because if he came with his regular game plan, Danny Garcia feasts on fighters that go in there with a predictable game plan. Sean Porter did the exact opposite. He sacrificed his first three rounds. Instead of leading with the jab, he was circling. And he lost the first three rounds. Danny Garcia was up three to nothing on pretty much everybody's card in that fight. But what he achieved by throwing those first three rounds and circling and not leading with the jab, he threw Danny Garcia off his game plan. That whole game plan had to go out of the window. And then when round four came in, he just ramped it up, bit down on his mouthpiece and turned it into a very awkward fight. He was mixing like an awkward style of brawling almost during the fight, and he came out with a unanimous decision, 116-112 with one judge and 115-113 with two judges in front of 15,000 fans in, the, um, in, in, in Brooklyn, New York. So this was, this was huge. I mean, the way that, that, that Porter was, was fainting, the way that he froze Danny Garcia's kind of motions and attack, it was fantastic, and it earned him a standing ovation from, from the crowd out there. Now, the next fight that I want to see, based on this, is obviously Sean Porter versus Errol Spence Jr. to unify the WBC and the IBF titles uh, in the welterweight uh, division. Now, a lot of people, obviously, the, the pot of gold fight that everybody wants to see is Errol Spence versus Terence Crawford, but let's face it, they're too far away right now in negotiations they're like I heard one boxing analyst kind of uh, compare it to two people at, at opposite ends of the street and nobody wants to cross the street. So that fight, which is the ultimate fight that we would want to see, is not going to happen anytime soon. So in the meantime, I want to see Sean Porter versus Errol Spence Jr. And we want Keith Thurman to get back in there. He had to vacate this belt because of his injuries. He's still undefeated. He didn't look too overweight now. He's getting back to fighting shape. But Porter, Errol, Spence would be fantastic. And Errol Spence was there in the event, and he even went up there in the, um, in the press conference. Now, I'm not too happy about seeing a fighter as composed and as decent as Errol Spence Jr. hanging out with the likes of, um, what's his name, Adrian Broner, 
and Javante Davis, who were drunk out of their minds and were causing an absolute havoc. Stay away from that crowd. Those are the guys that are going to be washed up fighters very soon. Javante has a lot of talent. Adrian Broner, I'm done with. But if we get to see Porter versus Errol Spence this year, that'll be great. As for Danny Garcia, this was a crossroads fight for him. Danny Garcia is a great fighter. He's borderline Hall of Fame. I don't think that his track record will get him in there. A lot of people argue that he is a Hall of Fame fighter. He won his first 33 fights. He was 9-0 and in his first ch um, nine championship fights. But now he's lost two out of, out of his last three. And this fight was absolutely important because had he won this fight, he would have had a lot of say of what happens next in the division. But now that he's lost this fight, he goes back into the mix of pool, kind of the pool of, of, of average fighters that he has to fight again before he can get a big money fight or a title fight. I don't know if at his age, if for his legacy, it's worth doing that. Now, let's, let's not get this twisted. Danny Garcia has beaten a lot of primetime fighters in his days. He's beaten Amir Khan, Zab Judah, Lucas Matisse, Lamont Peterson, Paul Malinaji. He's had a lot of good, good fights under his belt. But this was, this was a very, very important fight for him, and he had to win it. Now that he's lost two out of three, you have enough money for your family to live comfortably for the rest of their lives. I would consider retirement at this point. So that's my take on the Porter-Garcia fight that has just happened. Now let me wrap this show up with this. In the last week, we've seen a couple of things happen in the sports world in the name of social justice, social, I don't know what you want to call it, activism. First, it started with the Nike campaign with Colin Kaepernick, which I think was a brilliant idea. Now, you can criticize Nike all you want. It's a big corporation. There's exploitation of the workforce. In, in, in third world countries, there is marketing very expensive products in, in, in poor neighborhoods in the U.S. And you can criticize them for all of that. But Nike took a stand by naming Colin Kaepernick as the face of their 30th anniversary campaign for the Just Do It slogan. And it sparked a big reaction. I mean, you had a lot of idiots out there burning or throwing away their Nike merchandise. There's a couple of idiots that burned their Nike trainers while they were wearing them and had to go to hospital because they got third-degree burns on, on their feet. And this is just silly, guys. I mean, if, if you want to... You, you already paid for these products. Throwing them away is not hurting anyone but yourselves. You no longer have access to these items. If you want to throw them away, you don't want to wear Nike shirts, Nike shoes, fine, donate them. Give them to somebody that needs them. There's a lot of homeless veterans out there in the U.S. that would love to get your Air Jordans. But going back to this, the Nike ad stood for something. It created a discussion. It was very audacious. On the other hand, we had an incident in the U.S. Open with Serena Williams, who completely lost her mind during the fight and the way during the match. And the way that that started is. 
Um, she got coaching from her coach. There was a signal. She probably didn't see it. The umpire saw it and gave her a warning for it. And Serena decided to take it as a personal attack on her character, as, as a personal attack on who she is. She started talking about how she doesn't need to cheat. She brought her daughter into it and how she stands for And she was already losing a lot of points to Naomi Osaka, who's kept an unbelievable composure during that game. A 20-year-old fighting against... Oh, I keep saying fighting because I'm just talking about the UFC and boxing. She was playing against her idol. And she kept her composure. She was serving out of her mind. And Serena wouldn't let it go. She got frustrated. That resulted in her smashing her racket. She got a second warning violation for that, which results in a point being deducted. And then she just went into this kind of cyclone that she couldn't get out of. Started assaulting, verbally assaulting the umpire for taking the point from her. She caused a big havoc. And then he took the game away as a third violation because he, she called him a thief. That's fine. We've seen this happen in sports. What ended up happening in the post-game press conference is Serena started talking about how this was a sexist attack and how she's fighting for women's rights. And everybody started piling on. And you had a couple of journalists in there that just couldn't believe what they were hearing. And they just started clapping. And all of these celebrities started tweeting. And all of a sudden, we had a campaign for women's rights Who's violating women's rights right now? Tennis umpires? Is that who we're fighting against? I just don't see the point. This was very simple. I can compare it to another incident that happened last year in the Champions League semifinal. The last game of Gianluigi Buffon, one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time, Juventus versus Real Madrid, in the last minute, conceded, Juventus conceded a very soft penalty. The referee gave the penalty. Gianluigi Buffon lost his mind, verbally assaulted the referee, got a red card. Now, technically, if you look at it, should the referee have taken into account that this is the semi-final of the Champions League, that Juventus just came back from a 3-0 deficit and drew, that Gianluigi Buffon is a player with the highest character, admired by players, coaches, and fans alike all around the world? Yeah, he should have. But can you criticize him for following the rule, the rule book in that instance and sending him off? You can't blame him. Now, I'm a Juventus supporter. I'm still upset about that. That wasn't a penalty. It should have been a red card. But you didn't see Gianluigi Buffon after the, the match go out there and say that this was... Uh, an English referee's attack against all Italians all around the world. And now we need this campaign and this hashtag to, 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 to fight the oppression of racism against Italian people. We didn't go that far. He had another tantrum in the post-match post conference. He attacked the referee. He said that the referee had no heart. That's fine. This is exactly the same here with Serena Williams. This umpire has had a history of being consistent. He gave Novak Djokovic a code violation warning for swearing in Serbian to himself. He didn't even understand what Djokovic was saying. He gave Andy Murray a violation for criticizing his refereeing. All in the last year. 
this referee is one of the best, this umpire is one of the best umpires in tennis. He had no interest whatsoever in oppressing women. How did it turn into that? I don't get it. Simple fact is Serena William had a, let me not call it meltdown because we're calling women having meltdowns and men having passionate exchanges for some reason. I'm not going to call it a tantrum either. Serena Williams couldn't control her emotions in a very competitive game when she was playing against a much younger player on the 50th anniversary of the US Open. And she committed three violations and got the punishment for them. To say that other players get away with the same violation does not justify you making those same violations and getting caught for it. So that's my take on the Serena Williams um, situation. And I think I'll wrap it up there. I think that's a good place to wrap up today's episode. This has been Sports Unhinged. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube and Facebook channels. We'll be back next week and we'll talk about our reaction to the Canelo Triple G fight, of course. NFL is going to be a weekly feature from now until February and we're looking forward to that. This has been Sports Unhinged. My name is Mohamed Khamis. Until next time, goodbye.